Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hola amigos, hope you're having a great day wherever you are. And if you're a new listener to the show, special warm welcome to you. I really appreciate you tuning into the show. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. I appreciate it even more. In today's episode, we will speak to my friend Sebastian Aguilar. He's the community builder behind SimplyFI.org, Impactivated and FireBelgium.com. Sebastian is our first Belgian guest and he's coming with quite a story. He went from being broke, even borrowing money from his younger brother, to become financially independent at age 33, using a very simple and effective method actually, investing in low-cost index funds. Sebastian will share his journey with us, he will give us an introduction to index funds, and we will see how it is possible for us in Europe, and in particular in Belgium, to reach financial independence as well. Yeah, and amigos, I wanted to make a little note, because I... Um, made a little break in the episode around the 40 minute mark. The episode is longer than usual. And you know, if you're new to index investing, it can maybe get a bit intense. So I thought to to put a break in there. Well, let me know after the episode if uh, that was a good idea or not. But I can tell you, you will love every single minute of this show. Sebastian comes on with excellent career tips, excellent money tips, and great experience on index fund investing. Yeah, this episode is absolutely for you. If you want to learn more about building your way to financial independence in a very simple and effective manner, regardless of where you live. So without further ado, let's hear the interview. Hello, Sebastian. How are you doing today? Hey, Jonathan. I'm very good. Thanks. How are you? Yes, I'm very good here in Luxembourg and uh, you are in Belgium, I believe. That's right. Yeah. Okay, good old Belgium. Excellent. So yeah, today I invited you because uh, yeah, it's funny, we kind of started to chat last week. We have some common friends and uh, actually you are, uh, you have quite, quite the story because I think you're 34, 35, you are retired already. I've retired is a big word, but I am financially independent. Yes. And I stopped stopped working. Yes. Okay. Excellent. And yeah, it's, uh, I have not met any of my fellow Belgians that have retired so young. And the reason I'm, I am having you here on the podcast is to discuss your journey and of course, yeah, how is it possible to maybe achieve financial independence in Belgium? How, how that could be possible for the listeners, if uh, I'm sure there will be many Belgians uh, listening to us. So yeah. it's weird that we speak in English, but okay, you know, we, I think we'll, we'll go um, broad first and then we'll dive into, we'll zoom in into the, the Belgian uh, path to independence. So uh, maybe Sebastian, maybe you can introduce yourself briefly. Yeah, so I I like to call myself a dad and community builder and educator because that's what I do since I stopped working two years ago. I'm mostly a stay-at-home dad. My son here, my wife, we live in Belgium, and I am building communities around personal finance and impact in general. So that's some of the work I do online. And then I'm an educator because I teach people how to invest as well in Belgium in index funds. So this is sort of what I do today. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, yeah, I used to be a consultant. And uh, as we will talk about a bit later, I... I basically use something that can be called the fast path to financial independence, which we can discuss. <laughs> okay, very good. So let's not wait too much. I think uh, every Belgian listening or a- anybody in general will be excited to hear how you did that. So, okay, so Sebastian, uh, let's uh, roll back in time. So you 
studied in Belgium. I think you lived all your yeah. life in Belgium and then you graduated as an engineer, mechanical engineer or construction engineer, sorry. Correct, yeah. And then you you went to Dubai as an expat or was there some th yeah. something in between? I guess, uh, yeah, that's that's a good summary. I did study abroad, uh, so I did a second master's in the in the UK, mm -hmm. and from there I moved to Dubai. I got an internship close to um, in Dubai on a project that was close to Mazdar. We were supposed to be uh, was supposed to be a super sustainable city, zero waste, zero energy emissions, and all that. But so that's what drove me to move to Dubai. I had no idea about the life there and what would happen to me <laughs> yeah. because I moved there. Uh, so it's really a coincidence that I got to basically expatriate myself. I was always into traveling. I did travel a lot before, uh, but never to that region. So it was uh, a big jump for me. But it turned out to be uh, you know, one of the best things in my life in the sense that that's what triggered my path to FI and what I like to call the fast path to FI because... I don't think this is possible. See, if I had done the same work here, I wouldn't be a fight today for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, it's because I was an expat that this was possible. Mm -hmm. Okay, I will not go too much into details, but uh, I think it's important anyway for the listeners. So you say you discovered a fast way to FI in Dubai. Uh, can you give us a few bullet points uh, of how you, yeah, of your journey there and how you stumbled upon the FI movement? Because seriously, when I uh, started my career, you know, FI, okay, maybe it's unconsciously something I wanted, but I never really thought about FI and didn't even know the term. So can you maybe share yeah. your journey here? Yeah. So it, it started uh, mostly because I was broke. Uh, so I got this internship. It wasn't very well paid, mm -hmm. but it was enough for me to sort of um, go by over there in, in, in not even in Dubai, in, in the neighboring city called Sharjah. And It forced me to start tracking my finances. So at the end of my internship, uh, I was left with just a few hundred euros and I did manage to get another job, but I had to bridge that gap and I basically didn't have enough money I knew. <laughs> so I, I got out of the rental I had and I crashed at a friend's place and I borrowed money from my brother. Oh, so yeah. I was really mm -hmm. at zero, zero, zero. I didn't have very big debt, right? So I used all my money to pay for my studies and then I was there with zero money <laughs> just waiting for the next job yeah, to start. You were just getting by actually. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was tight, mm -hmm. and that's what forced me to actually start tracking my finances. So that's when I first opened, you know, Excel, and I said, okay, how much money do I have? How much am I spending? How long do I have? Like, how much do I need to borrow from my brother to survive? <laughs> <laughs> and look, this is was borrowing from my little brother, right? So it's not like I was, uh, like I was going to the person that I was supposed to be, you know. To impress, and yeah. I wasn't very proud of myself. Like the guy who's all, all the way there, you know, in Dubai, fancy Dubai, and not enough money. So I have to go back to my little brother and get some money. So that was kind of a weird situation, but um, it triggered something in me. I just started tracking, right? And then mm -hmm. once I started tracking, I just kept doing that. And I think that's uh, for anyone starting, that's the key, right? Just mm -hmm. track so that you know where you are, you know what you need and how much you need, and at some point you figure it out. Back then, as just with you, you know, there was not so much information about all this. It was very new, even in the US, the whole concept of FI, and uh, I was just trying to understand like what to do with my money. At some point, I didn't have a pension, right? So as an expat, you don't have access easily to the Belgian pension system, obviously. There is something, but it's not very good. And so I was trying to find ways to save for my pension. That's why I was doing my little spreadsheets. 
uh, because I was like, okay, how much do I need to survive at 65? Because right now I'm not contributing mm-hmm. to my pension and this is yeah, a problem. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And then from there, I learned about investing. I started investing in a very wrong way. I signed up for a very expensive savings plan that was sold by a financial advisor. But that was the thing that was, you know, the common way of investing back then. Actually, it still is in the expat world. This is something horrible is there are the savings plans that are locking people in for 25 years, you know, monthly contributions with massive penalties if you break the contract. Oh, and 45 years. Okay. Yes, it's insane stuff. Mm-hmm. 46% annual management fee hidden and into all sorts of hidden charges. So it's very, very, very bad. It's like the most horrible products you can get. But that's what everybody was advising me to get. So HR, the banks, and the financial advisors were all saying, this is how we do it, right? There's no other way. They didn't mm-hmm. tell me, oh, you can you can go on a broker and start trading or investing on your own. And yeah, anyway, but I discovered index investing uh, mostly through Jim Collins yeah. and his, his blog. It was a very big news blog. He had just a few posts there. He was starting the stock series and I learned. And, and from there, I just, yeah, I did some research. It took me a couple of years, but I, in the end, I found a way to do it myself. <laughs> yeah. But your, I mean, your job uh, changed as well over time. I guess you were not the trainee. Uh, <laughs> all no, those years. no, no. Yeah. yeah, so I started as an intern uh, in one firm, which closed. So that's why I had to find something else. Mm-hmm. They told me in advance, so I had some time. And then I quickly moved into a consulting firm and I climbed up quite fast. I was made manager after a year of being there and I had my own team. Although, you know, I was sort of a fresh grad. But I was already leading a team of people, uh, you know, half of whom were older than me. Yeah, at least, <laughs> at least half. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, there's something that comes along with just working hard and trying to do the best you can at work and, and being, you know, maybe quite ambitious, but also like very having strong work ethics and getting things done. And I've always been driven by impact. So trying to have, you know, a great positive impact and at work, that was what driving me. And I think it just reflects then later, you know, into what you end up being given as, as a job, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That helped me accelerate my path to FI, right? So there's a clear, I was thinking back then is like, if I can get, you know, good positions and good good salaries up front when I'm young, mm-hmm. you know, that will compound over time because I start understanding compounding. <laughs> it will compound in two ways. It will compound because I'm going to be saving a bit more, which will be invested and then it will save more. But also my starting salary, whenever there's a raise, you know, it's a percentage raise, right? Annually. Yeah. And so I was like, the higher I am at the beginning, the better it will be all the t- all the way through because typically can only go up, right? That's what that's what we normally see in corporate. So you want to be as high as you can on the on the pay grade type rank thing and, and negotiate your way through. So yeah, I put a lot of effort in negotiating my salaries, oh, starting good. salaries. Yeah. You know, which is a key component of reaching financial independence is obviously earning more. Mm-hmm. So I paid special attention to that, and that's how I think that's that's part of that's part of again one of the factors that made me reachify so fast. Um, another, I mean, very, some very big contribution to that is the fact that in the UAE there's no tax on income, and there's no tax on investments. So it, it's all basically whatever the my employer was ready to pay me. Um, that's what I would get. And then whatever I could save, that's what I would invest. And then whatever the returns I would get, I would keep it all. So there's, it's sort of a, it's a paradise for someone who's aiming for FI because you can get paid more, you can save more, you can invest more and actually keep more of the returns. So there's a bunch of factors there that really accelerate all this. And it all that, it sort of all adds up on it, on top of each other, right? Mm-hmm. But you just need to, you need to do it right. You need to do it well and right, but it's the perfect place for that. Very few people actually are taking advantage of that in a way because they As an expat, the, they live the high lifestyle yes. or something. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's just splurging on a lot of things that are totally useless, but fun to do. 
but yeah, it's just people have so much money they're spending on random things, and there is some sort of a competition to see who has the biggest house and the biggest car, and who goes to the most brunches and you know can buy the biggest bottles. Like this is like there's there's this weird thing about being an expat sometimes in in places that are so wealthy is that yeah money gets thrown around, <laughs> but then if you do it well and you know where you're going and you have the intention then. Uh, you can save well and invest and then do the fast path to FI, which is how I like to call it now. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. And you know, Sebastian, I think you talked about this more in detail on the on our friends uh, from the Financial Independence, your podcast. So yes. if the listeners want to know more about your Dubai money management, money management story, yeah. I, will, I will put the link in the show notes so they can exp- there is the place where you can expand. Uh, so we'll not go more in the details. I think that's pretty clear. So you, you were broke. You started to read about FI. You get a better job. You negotiate. You have a quite a good salary. It's basically tax-free. And then, okay, then you, you start to invest and live a healthy kind of reasonable lifestyle, mm-hmm. which is the way to, I mean, to reach FI. So then, of course, I have two questions. It all sounds good because, okay, I've been reading about financial independence, etc., for a couple of years. So it's logic to me. Nevertheless, I'm Belgian, you are too. And you know, in Belgium, the way I was raised, and I think it's very valid for many of us, is that we learn to save. So we know the importance of saving money, but not necessarily to invest. So wasn't your first reflex to say, oh, I'm going to start to save money Mm -hmm. instead of investing? Yes, yes. And look, I wasn't planning on investing. I was trying to make sure I have a pension. <laughs> yeah, know? retirement. Because, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yes, so saving, I had to start saving because I had no money. That's kind of the reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then just a few months later, I had some money there and I was like, okay, now I have this money, but I know I don't have a pension. Um, so I was looking far into the future and I had no idea. So at first I was just, you know, just uh, accumulating and yeah. I was like thinking okay how much do I need to survive 30 years from 65 to 95 and I was like I was like maybe I can invest this someday but I have no idea so I put a zero percent return on that and I was like okay I, I need like a huge amount of money <laughs> <laughs> because obviously it wasn't growing so it didn't make any sense and then at some point I started saying well maybe I can get two percent on that and so I started creating these little spreadsheets and this and so the number started coming down so it's really like I had no clue about all this but I was just doing a lot of thinking and researching and doing a bit of playing with my excel spreadsheet but yeah the saving part was the biggest part the investing came later basically when i started asking around okay what do expat people do for this for the pension and then it was always pointing in the direction of these horrible plans <laughs> which were investments but through insurance companies so you were not really owning any of the assets and anyway it's it's just it's just a horrible thing um, i'm not going to explain that here but just don't, if you're an expat and you hear this, just don't sign up for any kind of long-term savings plan where you have to contribute monthly and you're sort of locked in for a long time. Even if they say that you get all sorts of bonuses, it's fake. And in the end, it's going to cost you way more than what you think because mm-hmm. it's all hidden. Anyway, that's my rant. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, coming back to the to the money mindset, right? So in Belgium, yeah, my whole family, like nobody really invests. Um, no one talks about money even. And there's very few entrepreneurs. I don't think anybody really is an entrepreneur. We have some business owners in the family. But so money is not a topic. And so I started from from nowhere, almost with the idea that, you know, money was the root of some, some evil around the world. And I could see <laughs> yeah. all the problems that mm-hmm. money was bringing, right? So I sort of had this 
like up to the point where I had to actually deal with it because I was running out of money. I was seeing money as just something that I, just, I need to have some money in the cash and a bank account because what I wanted to focus on was to actually do good with my career. And I just, I needed money obviously to survive, but that's it. Like that's, that's all it was. <laughs> so I had, to, yeah, basically I learned that it could be more, much more than that. And just knowing a little bit, knowing the basics can actually transform your life and empower you to way more than if you consider money as just the side thing on the, you know, that you kind of have to have, but um, don't have to understand. Yeah. So that's very important. And I think in Belgium, there is a big need for most people to just learn that very basic financial literacy can really transform your life. Yeah. Yeah, that's my mission now. So you you start to invest. You read the works of uh, JL Collins, yeah. And then, so basically, your strategy becomes to invest in the stock markets. And uh, for those who know JL Collins, he wrote the book The Simple Path to Wealth. And basically, I mean, to summarize that book in one line, it's in invest in index funds and chill. That's correct. That's exactly what I do. <laughs> <laughs> It's very simple mm -hmm. and it's very powerful. It's been, you know, when you compare this strategy with any other kind of strategy, this beats everything over the long term. It beats any kind of professional management of of investing. It beats it beats all the edge funds. It beats like if if a simple portfolio of index fund beats, you know, the most highly paid professional managers and wealth managers, then you know this there's something there <laughs> yeah. and it's accessible to everyone. And it's really simple to implement. So the simple path to wealth is a brilliant title for his book. Uh, and yes, yeah, so I, I, I learned at first from him and then I learned from us all sorts of other places. The Bogleheads community in the US was a very uh, big enabler as well. We actually started the Boglehead community chapter in the UAE as I was starting to just share this knowledge with more people and just, you know, And, and in the end, we actually created our own organization uh, of volunteers who help educate others, other expats in the region there, how to better manage their finances. And today, that's a very big group. It's 11,000 people, and it's only volunteering work, so people helping each other. We've created a free guide, and we have all sorts of lectures online, and it's all there for, to help expats not get screwed, <laughs> basically, <laughs> and actually start investing the right way. And yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, this is probably one of the best thing I've done in my life is just start that thing and just give, you know, it's pay forward, help people. And then this massive, beautiful community came up and yeah, it's now it's some, some amazing thing going on there. Okay. And, and then, okay, you were in Dubai, you were making good money uh, because yeah, Dubai is famous for, if you have a good job in Dubai, you can earn quite, quite well, better than in Belgium, for example. Yeah. And then you don't have the tax. So, okay. The, if you invest with an average return of 7%, or even more, and then of course, having your path to wealth, uh, to financial independence will be rather short. Uh, but is it then possible to, to follow the same path in, in other countries, in France, in Luxembourg, in Norway or Germany? I think to a certain extent, some of it can be done, right? Mm -hmm. um, I got lucky in so many ways, right? I'm, I mean, first of all, I don't, I don't feel like I'm entitled to The position I'm in today because most of it was luck. I just I was young and I moved to a place where I could make a lot of money and and then I managed to save and I started saving because I was in the wrong place. But I mean it's basically everything happened to me and today I'm in this position where I can help others. So anyway, yes, uh, some of that can be replicated, but not all of it. I mean, getting a high paid job it's possible here, but it would be very industry specific. So it has to be something that you can uh, aim for when you decide on what you're going to study, and and then probably in your current field. In you know in in people's already existing field, if they have experience, there are normally ways 
of expanding and scaling up certain things, either through you know digital businesses or by specializing in something very niche, etc. Um, Belgium is also a great place for investors because we don't have capital gain tax on stock ETFs. And that is super powerful because it is the best way to grow your wealth in many, yeah, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so Belgium and Luxembourg is the same, right? Switzerland is the same, no capital gain taxes. It's not the same in France or Germany or some of the other countries around here, but there's a few countries where investing is super powerful. But then, yeah, you earn and then you get taxed massively, right? So there's a huge income tax here. You can't, you don't want to be avoiding that. But the more you increase your income from, uh, you know, uh, by climbing up or by specializing or by scaling up some something digital, uh, the more you can accelerate. Now, another route would be entrepreneurship. Um, and again, I think here using, you know, the digital, the digital power of the Internet and all that, then that, that can work as well. And finally, I think there's a way of doing it as an offshore worker. So if, if you do get a job in the maritime industry or the oil industry or even renewable energy, if it's related to, say, you know, um, maritime windmills, etc., then there's work that needs to be done abroad. So you can work abroad, a bit very, be very well paid and have all expenses covered and come back home and do something else. So there are, there are ways of making, mm-hmm. you know, a very different type of salary, but you need to go and look for it and be willing to actually... I mean, there will be a sacrifice, right? So offshore, working offshore, there's a sacrifice there because you're gone for a while. And then expat, there's a sacrifice because you're gone for a while. And then you live in, a, you know, in, in countries that can be difficult to to handle if you're not used to different cultures. And it can be done in the UAE, but Singapore works, Hong Kong works. I mean, going to work in the US or Australia, um, that will be also well paid compared to the cost of living in Belgium. So if you maintain your cost of living there, more or less... Uh, at, at a good level, then you can save a lot. Yeah, so I think there are ways, but um, uh, you actually have to be creative because it's not just the regular job that's going to give you this this, this uh, mm-hmm. increased earnings. Yeah, indeed. And then also, whatever you make, you need to save money. I mean, you need to save and then invest. Uh, yeah. Okay, you're the specialist uh, <laughs> on the index funds. Uh, and maybe just uh, before we, we go, I have, uh, before we go into details on on the uh, well, on the path to, to financial independence using uh, index funds, can you just maybe uh, re-clarify, re-explain what are um, index funds? Because maybe there's listeners who listen for the first time and, you know, index funds is yeah. like, okay, what is this thing? Is it uh, buying Tesla and Apple or is it uh, <laughs> buying Total? Actually, I don't know, you know. <laughs> well, it's buying them all at once, right? So mm. like an investment fund is a collection of assets that can be purchased normally through the stock exchange. So a normal investment fund would just buy a bunch of stocks from different places and and follow a specific strategy. Typically, there's a portfolio manager that will manage that for you. And so you can get, you know, good economies of scales and better prices and all this. And it's accessible to most people. An index fund will do the same, but it will simply track an index. Instead of having a, a fancy manager that thinks he knows better than the market and that can actually predict the future, the index fund just says, we don't know the future. We're happy to get the market returns. So we'll get the average. And it turns out that the average is I mean, very often the best you can actually get because index funds will be much cheaper to run. They'll be widely diversified. And if you build a good portfolio, balancing uh, stocks and then some fixed fixed income asset, then you have a very, very solid investment plan that is fairly easy to set up for most people um, that will have maximum diversification, lowest costs, uh, best uh, risk-adjusted returns. It, it really, I mean, statistically and from all the academic research that has been done on the topic, it beats the vast majority of 
professional managers, as I was saying, saying earlier, over 15 years, uh, there's you know five to 15 percent of professional managers that can do better than the market. Uh, whereas the index will just say, well, it's just going to get the market. So, and mm-hmm. then over longer periods of time, I think over 25 or 50 years, it's less than one yeah. percent. So, being actively managing your investments or, by, or paying someone to actually to do it for you gives you you know one percent chance of doing better than the average market than, than the market. So, I'd rather say I. I'm just going to be in the 99%. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm the winning side and I'm very happy with that. And it's taking far less time and far less work. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. And Sebastian, then you send me some notes and you have written to me uh, the five pillars of index investing. And I think that's interesting to give some uh, practical advice here. I mean, we're not financial advisors, neither you nor I, but I think there is a um, you have a five-step plan to work on our paths to financial independence. Can you go through them and explain them for us? Sure, sure. So look, this is based on like everything that I've read, right? It's, it's not, I'm not coming up with anything new here. But what I've done is I have formatted in a way that's easier to, to handle and easier to understand. So for me, the five pillars of index investing are first, invest for the long term. So mm-hmm. it's, not a sh- it's not a short-term game. Two is diversify. And we're going to, I will, I will, dis- I will describe them a bit better yeah. uh, in a minute. Then three is keep costs low. Four is keep it simple. And five is mind your emotions. So invest for the long term is simple. On the short term, the markets are volatile. In the long term, the markets go up. So we invest for the long term because we just want it to go up. And we don't we don't look at short-term volatility. We don't time the market. We want to start early in our lives. So the younger you are, the better it is to start investing in index funds or in, in, in most in most investments. Um, so and right, right now, you're not panicking. I mean, we're in the middle of the... No, didn't do anything. The market is a bit crazy. I mean, Tesla is almost at two thousand dollars as we speak. I don't even look at that. Yeah, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I don't like. I don't like. I know it's there because I see people posting on social media, but I don't look at any kind of financial news. Okay. This is part of this is part of pillar five. Mind your emotions, by the way. But um, long term means it doesn't matter what the market does in the short term. We are just contributing every day, or sorry, every month, right? And we are buy and hold, mm-hmm. and we take advantage of dollar cost averaging or euro cost averaging. And we have a solid plan that basically works in the long term because it's been proven that that works better than anything else. And so we just do that. So no market timing. It's not try- we're not trying to buy at the bottom. We're not trying to sell at the top. We just, whenever we have the money, we put it in, that's it. Mm-hmm. And the longer the money is in, the better. So that's that's the goal. We don't anything, like if you need the money in five years, you don't invest using this, this technique. And certainly not in stock market in general. Um, you want to keep it somewhere safe because in five years, it could have been completely crashed and you could lose half your money. That's the first pillar. Mm-hmm. The second pillar is diversification. So index funds are brilliant for diversification because with one purchase, you get a, you basically buy the whole stock market in the world, right? You can buy all, like the vast majority of assets that are available on public stock exchanges. You can have them in one ETF. Um, and then you can do the same for bonds or for any kind of other fixed income assets. And, and then you have your portfolio. So diversification is between within the assets uh, within the asset classes, so you buy one ETF, one index ETF that buys all, you know, the vast majority of stocks in the world, um, and then and then it's also between asset classes. So you buy you buy stocks and you buy, for example, bonds for your fixed income part, and that is your portfolio. And this balance, this diversification within the asset classes and um, between two or more asset classes gives you some of the best risk-adjusted returns. So levels of return for the level of risk that you're taking. Mm-hmm. Very good. That's the second pillar. Mm-hmm. Third pillar is to keep costs low. Again, 
coming from statistics studies and academic studies, costs is basically the number one determining factor uh, that's going to tell you whether you're going to make good money or not on an investment. The higher the cost, the lower the returns. This is so there. Obviously, there's, there's a lot of factors that influence how you're going to do on your on your returns. But cost is you know one of the prominent ones. So the lower the costs, the better it is. Now you don't want to be completely. Um, you don't want to be too extreme here, right? Uh, because sometimes you want to lower costs so much that you go for free services, but they're really bad quality, and you might be re- putting your investment at risks. But you want to go for low-cost index funds, and you're going to want to go for a, a broker that's mostly online and that is solid with reputation, but you're not going to go to a traditional bank because they're going to charge you insane fees on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, whenever you see a fee that's above half a percent, that's expensive. And yeah, you want to minimize any, any kind of ongoing fees. Um, you want to optimize for, for taxes, which is something big in Belgium, and minimize costs in general, because that will definitely be money that you keep for yourself. The fourth pillar is keep it simple. Complicated portfolios tend to fail because the investor will either, either make mistakes or second guess himself. Mm-hmm. So we like to go with two or three ETFs max. That's it. One portfolio, two, three ETFs, uh, and it does everything. There's, you know, there's multiple studies that show that when you have more things, most Java investors tend to just, yeah, as I said, <laughs> make mistakes or second guess themselves. So, for example, you have two or three. Say you have three or four stock index stock ETF, and you have and and basically you're looking at their performance, and you say, well, you know, the European one is doing better than the Asian one, so maybe I'm gonna get rid of my Asian one. But that you know that that's basically changing your plan based on performance, which doesn't tell you anything about the future, right? So Europe mm-hmm. has may have been doing better and Asia poorly, but actually that means that you should buy more of Asia because it's cheaper in a, in a way, right? And who knows what's going to happen in the future? Maybe maybe Asia will go up, but maybe not. Maybe Europe will go up. But the problem is that you have two ETFs, and so you are tempted to compare. So this is, again, some emotional thing going on. You tend to compare, and that, then you tend to change your plan mm-hmm. based on stuff that's irrelevant because it's past data. It doesn't tell you anything about the future. Whereas if you have one ETF, then there's no questions. You have one ETF. It owns the whole world. It's easy. <laughs> you can't you can't compare, and you have everything. You get the average of the average, and that's you know what is going to be far better than most, it's going to be far better than most people uh, and most investors. So keeping it simple is is easy. Rebalancing between two ETFs is far easier than if you have three or four. That you can't make mistakes in the math, and you're not going to be scared of doing the rebalancing because it will be simple. If you have like four, five, six ETF, and you have to rebalance every I don't know every year or every six months or whatever it is that you decide for yourself, then it's a complicated task. And if it's complicated, you're not gonna want to do it right now. You'll find a reason not to do it, and then you postpone, and then you never do it. And if you don't rebalance, uh, you know maybe maybe your portfolio will do worse. Uh, but anyway, keep it simple. It's easy. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, yeah, mind mind your emotions. That is basically emotions are our biggest enemy. And um, whenever Whenever our emotions take over, then that's when we start making mistakes. Um, and so here are the key is to have a very simple portfolio and never look at it. So yeah. the best investors, based on quite a few studies that we've seen, and one is quite famous in Fidelity, the best investors of the long term in Fidelity were people who were either dead or had lost their password. Um, <laughs> so the ultimate buy and hold people were the best investors. Mm-hmm. Right. So the idea is to just not touch it. Stay away. Stay away from the news. Yeah. Don't, don't try to catch uh, the next rising star because most likely you will hear on, about it only after it's already gone up. 
uh, yeah, don't sell the things that are performing poorly because if they're performing poorly, it means they're cheaper. You might want to be buying more of those and don't try to catch the dips because you don't know when the actual dip will end. And anyway, you can't predict the future. So the best way is to step back, not look at it, have a balanced portfolio with you know a good amount of bonds in there because that protects you and gives you even better risk-adjusted returns. That is the key to success, right? The last thing you want is to be selling your stocks at the wrong time. And then panicking and second guessing and then being, you know, thinking that, you know, and then becoming overconfident or letting yourself be driven by greed or fear mm -hmm. and make mistakes. So emotions, yeah, biggest enemy of, of investors. So being well aware of that is super important. Yeah, my way is I just don't look at anything. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's actually the best way because, you know, the two last points you mentioned, so keep it, keeping it simple and minding your emotions. You know, in the end, why do we invest? It's not because we, we like money and we like to watch uh, charts move up and down every day. It's, it's because we want to have some sort of financial security to build on our goals. Maybe we can touch upon it at the end, but it's, it's because we want to live a better life. And, and this investing in the stocks, it's a tool to, to get there. So we should really be buy and hold investors, keeping contributing and maybe readjusting here and there. But Basically, our time should be spent on the things we enjoy, we, things we love, the people we love. That's what it's all about in the end. 100% agree with you. Money is only a tool. Investing is only a tool. Financial independence is only a tool. And it's all for us to live better lives, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, yeah, I mean, one of the key aspects of index investing is it doesn't take much time. Like once you have it set up, you just have to con contribute monthly. Sometimes you have to rebalance. Uh, but I mean, if it takes you 10 to 15 minutes per month, it's a lot. And for the returns you get, that's very little time. And so, and then once you get to FI, it takes you, you know, we look at it once every six months. <laughs> so <laughs> cool. okay. we spend a bit more time because we, there's a few things we have to check, but, uh, but overall, yeah, it's maybe half hour, one hour max every six months. So it's nothing mm. uh, uh, super efficient. And we just do what we love. And like today I spend most of the day with my, with my kid. Uh, we went to the park and we went, I mean, but that's my life most of the time, right? I just, mm -hmm. I don't look at all this and I have a system that is simple and that I trust. It's worked for the past 150 years. Uh, as long as humanity moves forward, this is going to work better than anything else. And it's simple and yeah, it, it gives me confidence. It gives me peace of mind. I can make choices based on other criteria than just money now. Um, and that is the whole point of financial independence is you build security in your life, you have a system you trust, and then you can think of ways to make your life better today, right? Yeah. You don't have to wait to get to financial independence. You do that today because mm -hmm. you are in a safe position financially, you have it under control, um, you know where you're going, you know how much you know how much safety you have, and based on that, you can make decisions that are better for you uh, rather than for your employer, for example. <laughs> <laughs> hey there, this is Jonathan. Hope you're enjoying this conversation so far. We have come to the break and I think it's a good time to let the valuable information and tips sink in. And so you can choose to pause the episode, do something else or continue listening. It's up to you. It's your podcast. And I'll catch you later. Okay, very good. And then Sebastian, okay, this sounds excellent and it it seems very accessible, but of course I'll link all your information in the show notes so people can can find out more about this. But then, of course, you're Belgian, so um, now you move back from um, Dubai to Belgium, and of course I want to ask you, 
is this uh, okay? This way of investing is possible in Belgium. I mean, I myself have a broker in Belgium. It's Bolero. I've written a post about it. But then, is it possible, or are there any particular things to pay attention to when uh, investing in the stock markets, investing in uh, index funds in Belgium? Mm, yeah, no, that's a very good question. So. Most of the knowledge out there on index investing is from the U.S. and it's quite specific to the U.S. There's a lot of general knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. There, and there is some information about indexing investing in Belgium. But in general, it's this is driven by, yes, taxes and then the local regulations around broker and investments and all this. But basically, the taxes is probably the most difficult part. The process is the same in most places outside of the U.S. So you can't access index funds directly via mutual funds managers, you have to buy them through um, a broker and then buy them on a stock exchange and you buy the ETF version of the same index fund. Um, and that's the same. That's that's the most common way of doing it in Belgium. Mm-hmm. There are some mutual funds that are, you know, uh, starting, but they, I mean, they're not very popular and they're not quite there yet. That's the most efficient way of doing it and the most cost effective way of doing it. But yeah, so for Belgium specifically, you need a broker. Then you define, understand the taxes. And once you understand the taxes, you select, uh, you can basically have a short list of the criteria for you to select the ETF that you want to buy, uh, optimize for the taxes. And then you open a brokerage account, you go find ETFs, you buy them on the stock exchange, uh, you know, whether it's, yeah, most, most of the time it'd be one of the European ones so that you get an Irish domiciled ETF. Yeah for tax reasons and then that that's pretty much the whole process uh, we can go through each of the steps if you want in, in more details yeah just uh, i think you you send me some um, a very comprehensive list maybe you can just yeah. summarize very briefly each and every point i uh, also wrote this um, template i have this, this template that i use for my students on how to write your personal investment plan. It's a personal investment plan template. Yeah. And it, it follows this this uh, this approach as well. So if your listeners are interested, uh, we can maybe make that available to them. They can download that document. It's a spreadsheet, Google spreadsheet. They can either download or copy, and then they can fill it in and build their own personal investment plan yeah, like that. Perfect. Yeah. It's tailored for Belgium. It's tailored for index investing. So if, if people are interested in that, that's probably, you know, it's an easy way of getting to answer the correct questions in the correct order so that your plan is solid, basically. So yeah, so let's do that, right? I'll give you the link to that and so people can do that. Um, all right, so the first thing you want to do when you write your personal investment plan to, in, to invest with index ETFs uh, is to define your investment goals. It's kind of obvious, but sometimes not everybody does it, basically. You kind of want to know how much you want to have and by when you need it. Any money that you need in the next five years um, it's better if it's n- not in stocks, right? Yeah, correct. But anything that's, uh, any money that you need in 10 years or more, uh, 15, 20, whatever for your retirement, for example, then that is, it's it's good to have that index ETFs uh, generally. When you think about financial independence, even if your plan is to retire in five years, you still want that money to stay invested for a very long time, right? So there's a good chance that anything that is related to independence, pension, retirement, that money will be stay invested throughout that period. So if you're 50 and you plan on retiring at 55, don't think that the money is going to be needed in five years. It actually is going to be needed for the next, you know, 50 years, hopefully, <laughs> because that's how long you want to live and that's how long you want your money to work for you. Yeah. And so you have a very t- long, long horizon in that case. But anyway, so this is defining investment goals is important because you want to have clarity on that. Then you understand your risk tolerance. So risk tolerance you know, it's often simplified as being something like asset allocation is your age in bonds or your age minus 10 
in bonds. I think that's too simple. And it's in, in some cases it can work, but in many cases it doesn't because it doesn't take into account people's personal preferences and personal situations. So understanding your risk tolerance is answering a few questions related to how much risk you are willing to take, how much risk you are able to take, and how much risk uh, you need to take. So those questions are actually in the template. I don't think it makes sense to go through them right now, but uh, it's, it's really assessing different aspects of your personal situation, uh, whether you have a backup plan, whether you have a stable income, whether you need the money soon or later, uh, whether whether you have already uh, accumulated enough that you don't want to take more risk. And there's, there's a bunch of things there um, that are important to to think about. So obviously I go into all this in a lot of details during my course, but I yeah, think with well, the template... we can just really give a quick summary, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the template would help because it's a summary of my course as well. So with the template, people can understand how that works and answer those questions for themselves. And then from there, you can determine your asset allocation, which would be simply the percentage of stocks versus bonds that you have. And once you have that, you basically have, you know, 80% of your investment plan done because that's the most important part. Your asset allocation will determine the success of your investment because it's both will drive you know the returns and the performance mm -hmm. but also the risk and hence you know the success rate so if you take more risks and you're not ready for that risk then there's a good chance you're going to fail and you will you know panic sell at the wrong time uh, but if you set a more conservative asset allocation you might have slightly lower return not very much right a bit lower return but you'll be most likely to uh, you'll be able to hand to handle it in the long term well, a small thing i want to clarify here is People, you know, a lot of people in Belgium are 100% stocks because there's a 30% tax on bond capital gain tax. Sorry, there's a 30% bond capital gain tax for bond ETFs. Um, they're actually making less money than someone who has, say, 10 or 20% bond in their portfolio and who rebalances regularly because there's a power in just rebalancing. And the, the optimal return is not 100% stocks, I'm afraid, <laughs> based <laughs> on historical data. Uh, we don't know what the future holds, but yeah. um, based on historical data, that's, that's just the wrong assumption. And as someone who has a 50-50% asset allocation type is not giving up that much return compared to 100 percent uh, stocks so that's a very big misconception 50 50 actually delivers very good returns okay you know, maybe maybe half percent maybe one percent lower uh, on an annual basis but it's it's not it's not like you don't lose half of the return that's not true mm -hmm. anyway something for people to think about because i see a lot of people taking more risk than they should and then you know being exposed in case it crashes there's a good chance they'll sell and that's that's dangerous anyway on to the next point maybe Understanding, so once you have that, you have basically, yeah, 80%, as I said. The next thing you want to do is understand local taxes. And yes, Belgium is fairly complicated. The taxes are even changing a bit. But understanding local taxes is important because then you can optimize for tax and cost cost further and select the right ETFs and have the right strategy. There are a few places, such as the Reddit uh, Financial Independence Belgium group or the Financial Independence Belgium Facebook group, and a few blogs where some of this is explained. But uh, yeah, so that's probably the heaviest part in terms yeah. of the learning. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big part of the course I give as well, obviously. But so understanding that is important. Another way of dealing with this is just saying, well, other people have thought through this and they have decided that this is the best portfolio to have. So I'm just going to follow that. That's another, you know, another way of doing it. I don't know if it's ideal because you kind of want to understand taxes because it might change one day. You want to understand how to re-optimize then. But so taxes are important. Based on the taxes, you can define your selection criteria. So that could be the domiciliation, whether it's distributing or accumulating, where it's registered, and a bunch of other things, when to buy, when to sell, etc. So define your, your criteria and then use those criteria to select the ETFs that you want to buy. And so you'll have a short list, you know, maybe there's going to be two potential ETFs for your stock allocation and two potential ETFs for your bond or maybe more. And then 
you determine your rebalancing rules. That's something you do. You know, it doesn't have to be exactly at this point in time, but at some point you have to determine your rebalancing rules. So decide whether you rebalance every six months, every year, as you contribute. So if you contribute monthly, then maybe you rebalance as you contribute. And this will have an impact. And this you did a bit more frequently at the start because, okay, you were learning as well. And then now you do it every six months or something or... Yeah, so yeah. you don't really need to be always on target, mm-hmm. but rebalancing every year or so is sufficient to stay more or less on target, and your exposure to risk isn't you know isn't completely different from what you want where you want to be. Uh, sometimes, if the market crashes or if there's a good you know there's a there's a big raise in stock valuation, you could also rebalance at those points. Yeah, if if there's say a ten percent deviation from your target allocation or something like that, uh, but it's not really important how exactly you rebalance. Although you want to have a very clear and simple rule, what's important is to just do it once in a while, because otherwise you could deviate very quickly from your target asset allocation and be overexposed in case of a crash, right? So the biggest risk is, say, you have a 50-50 asset allocation, and then five years later, the markets have been going up, and you're at 75-25, and you did not rebalance. And now you expose if there's a market crash, you lose a lot more. Whereas if you had rebalanced gradually, you would have been still at Mm 50-50, and so if there's a crash, you're fine, right? Because you're not exposed 75%, you're exposed only 50%. So that's all. That's all what's sore. Um, so yeah, once a year is easy. Uh, every time you, you contribute is easy. So whatever that is, as long as you do some rebalancing, you'll be fine. The next step is then selecting your broker. In Belgium, there are you know six, seven very common brokers that are discussed on lots of forums. There are also some very cheap brokers that um, a lot of people are using. I would be careful about the criteria to select a broker. I don't think that price is the only criteria people should use. They should look at safety first because in the end, it's the life savings being invested or at least parts of them. So safety is probably more important. Uh, you want to you wanna do some research on how safe the, the broker is, but also you know where the money is held with the custodian maybe, mm-hmm. what kind of security there is to actually access the account. Is it something that can be, you know, if it's just a username and password, that's not a very secure account. Someone else could just log in and transfer money out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's all sorts of techniques to do that now today, so you don't want to. You kind of want to have at least a two-step level verification, uh, ideally with a DigiPass or a mobile phone app, something that's you know very well encrypted and all this. So that's important. And then uh, you also want that broker to give you access to the ETFs you want to buy. Mm-hmm. Do, 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 which one do you use, uh, Sebastian? So today I'm with Interactive Brokers. Yeah. Um, I'm considering moving either to Lynx or to Bolero. That's this is where I am today. Because okay. I still have my broker from when I came back from abroad. Yeah, so it's, kept my, it. yeah. yeah, my investment is in all in dollars as well because I invested in dollars at first. So it's all there. The reason why we select our ETFs before selecting the broker is because you don't want to open an account with a broker and then that broker doesn't have the ETFs you need. Uh, well, you can do that, but then you have to open another, another brokerage account, <laughs> which, is, which is fine too. Anyway, so you open the account, you have to fill up some, some, some forms and send some paperwork and you have to fill in some, like answer to some questionnaire that they will check your level of understanding of investment. And then only you will have access to, to, the, to the account and you can fund your account. The next best way to deal with this, I mean, it, this can be a little bit overwhelming for people who have never done this before. These platforms can be complicated. I mean, Bolero and Jajiro are fairly simple, but if you, you say if you open an account with Bing Bank, it looks like a space shuttle cockpit. It's <laughs> just, there's just buttons everywhere. There's flashing lights. It's red, it's green, there's graphs, there's things, there's like news. There's, like, there's so much stuff there. Uh, anyway, so either you pick a very simple platform but even then, you still have to find ETFs and all this. So it's better to learn to do that with someone who's done it before. 
So either a friend, someone from the community, someone who teaches this, whatever, because that, so you kind of want to go through that overwhelm and get over that overwhelm and start trading. And the most difficult part is to do the first trade, right? So for the first trade, get some help, find the right ETF, make sure it's the right stock exchange, make sure it's the right currency, make sure the stock exchange is open and that you make the trade during opening hours, make sure you're actually putting some sort of limit on your trade so that you don't get any surprise. It's not essential when you do a small, small transaction, but for bigger transactions, you kind of want to have that as a habit. And then and to make a small transaction, 100 euros or, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, 5, 10% of whatever you plan on investing, sm- something small so that you're not too scared. And if it goes wrong, you just take the money out and it's fine. You move, you know, you can change brokers. Um, but so I would say, I would say, yeah, start small, get used to it. And once you're confident in your abilities, then you start investing more regularly, uh, monthly, for example, or quarterly depending on how you want to optimize that. And then you try to put everything on autopilot. So you try to make some automatic payment into your brokerage account from your bank account. So you pay yourself first, right? Mm-hmm. That way you don't spend the money. And then it's easy. You just log in and just do the, the, the purchases. Yeah. So the more you can automate, the better, because then you can have a system that you trust and you can actually focus on what really matters in life and relax. Perfect. So, so that's sort of the, the process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the templates goes through that and has space for people to answer those questions. Okay, excellent. I think it's excellent and I'll link it up. And um, yeah, I think it's it's a pretty simple process and I really like how you explain it. And I like the experimenting part as well, because I think that's how you learn basically. And mm-hmm. then um, Sebastian, okay, I, I think we're coming at the end of the show. Uh, what I want to ask you, okay, I think it's very clear your story. You know, you were in Dubai, you were broke, and then you learned about FI. You start to uh, make more money. You invest that money, so you're smart. Now you are even retired at uh, 34, 35. Uh, so that's great. You have, a son, you have a son. And I'm thinking, okay, fine. You're young and you still have uh, plenty of years, hopefully about 65 years uh, ahead of you. <laughs> and you're already at financially least. independent. So what are you going to do with all your time? And what was the goal of all this in the end? <laughs> yeah. Look, this is such an important question. Anyone who's getting close to FI really needs to think about what they're going to do mm-hmm. once, they, once they reach it, because otherwise it's sort of like a cliff, right? You work, you work, you work, you're on the treadmill, and the treadmill stops, and you're on the cliff. Uh, what happens next? Um, and it's a question that a lot of people who reach traditional retirement have, right? And they have mm-hmm. to ask those questions. And it's a bit of self-introspection, thinking about what matters to you, how you, you want to spend your time. And you could decide to keep working, right? But you could decide to keep working for something that you know matters more to you, maybe some good cause or all of that. So I started asking those questions, you know, maybe two years before I I, I got to FI, and I was really doing all the research because I was like, okay, what is it that I can do that's going to have the most impact? Because in the end, that's what drives me, and that's what drives me at work. I just knew that I could do something else better, maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. And so as I was looking for well, I was Googling this question in all sorts of ways and I was just trying to follow the, the trails to find these answers. And I, I came across another community called Effective Altruism, which focuses on asking that question, how can we do the most good? Using reason and evidence, how can we do the best we can? Like, how can we do the most good? Using the resources we have, right? As individuals, with our skill set, with our time, with our money. And they have just a wealth of knowledge on answering that question. Obviously, there's no single answer, right? But Mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways of thinking about these problems so that you can start, you know, dedicating time or trying to help, like, solve those issues. And it's basically, typically issues that are either highly neglected, that would be big and important in scale, so it's scalable, 
so then in that click, so there, there's not that many people working on it, which means that you know an additional an additional bit of resources can make a big difference. So there is a way of thinking about this. There's a very good framework that they propose to think about those questions. And so I've I've taken inspiration from that, and I actually started a blog back then called Impactivated, and I wrote about this the idea that with financial independence we can actually do a lot of good because we free up our time. We have a yeah. skill set that's mm-hmm. you know highly valuable. We you know most of us achieving FI, we have done something that society values enough to pay us well, right? And we've been smart and disciplined enough to actually invest in the right way and actually have a plan to be able to stop working and relying on a pay- on a paycheck. So we are you know we're not the average like we're not the average. You know it's like this is not for everybody <laughs> obviously reaching FI. And so we have we have value and this value can be directed at things that make a very big impact. And so that's the whole purpose of Impactivated. This is what drives my decisions today. And basically, before deciding to focus on the Financial Independence Belgium community, I've looked at a bunch of different options for me to do good, right? And I've tested a few things because that's it's part of the process. You, yeah. you, define, you define the different options that you could pursue, and then you go and test it, actually try it. So I did a lot of work in AI governance. Um, I looked at other ways of of supporting the community and at, at working on some of the other issues. I worked on climate change. There's there's a bunch of issues on which I've worked. And after doing that exploration, then you decide which one you go for. And so for me today, because I want the flexibility, it's about you know sharing this knowledge, building the community, and and instilling those values in the community. So what I'm doing is a little odd in the sense that I'm building the FI community, but I'm also building the FI for impact community. So. That's how I like to call it now. It's we're not pursuing a fire just to get rich and quit. We're pursuing a fire <laughs> to to do good, to do good, okay, and to make good. the world yeah. make the world a better place. And so that's my philosophy. That's you know that's what I share on this blog. And there's there's a Facebook group that is about a fire for impact. For those who are interested in that conversation, it's how can we do good with financial independence? And there's yeah, there's a lot of very good ways. Some of them can be heavy, but there's also very simple ways where we can have a massive impact. Um, and yeah, so I invite people, if they're interested in this topic, to listen to the Financial Independence Your Podcast number 36, which is where I spoke about this with Arminta there. Uh, and to check yeah, check out my website if they're interested in more. Because in the end, that's, what, that's where I'm going. You know, long term, I'm doing this thing short term. My long term goal is to have a very big positive impact and mm-hmm. hopefully bring a lot of people along with me. Oh, fantastic. That's, that's great. Uh, I really like to hear that, uh, Sebastian. And then, uh, Sebastian, we've come at the end of the show. So thank you again so much. And uh, yeah, uh, before we move on, uh, I will just, uh, we, we just have our uh, three quick fire questions. All right, let's do it. That we ask every, uh, every uh, guest. So number one, um, Sebastian, what is the best investment uh, you've made so far? So for me, I think it was those two years where I struggled with my finances <laughs> and I struggled to understand yeah. how to invest because... Mm-hmm. I mean, I learned something incredibly powerful and, uh, you know, now that I have this system set up and I have all of this working, I have, you know, a system that works and it lets me focus on what matters and on things of high impact. And I think that's, yeah, that's my best investment for sure. It took me a long time, but it's worth it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's a time investment for a long, it's a short time investment for a long-term uh, gain. So yeah. like that. Number two, what is the best book uh, you can recommend to anyone and it does not need to be a financial book? So there's a lot of books that are really cool, but if I have to pick one, it would be Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by by Yuval Noah Harari, a brilliant book about just where we come from and, you know, who we are in the bigger picture as a human species. 
And it sort of helped me also think about this, you know, bigger, larger scale impact. And uh, Sebastian, last question. Uh, what is the best purchase you've made for under 100 euros? So it's not exactly under 100 euros because it's a subscription. Uh, it costs $5 a month and it's a meditation app. Mm -hmm. It's called Waking Up. Okay. And it's the meditation app by Sam Harris. It's uh, made for complete beginners. It's It's got no wifi woofy guru stuff in there. Uh, it's backed by science. The guy, he's a, neuro, a neurophysician, I think, mm -hmm. a neurologue, and at the same time, a meditator, and he's learned from the best from around the world, and he's using science to back up all of his all of his teachings. And it's really well made. It helps people start, start meditating and get some of the benefits very early on in their lives. Um, yeah, so like we talked about emotions from an investment perspective, I think this app, has helped me better understand my own emotions in life in general. And that's just beautiful and powerful and very useful. Okay, excellent, excellent. And so, yeah, we've talked a bit, uh, Sebastian, about where people can find you, but just can you maybe just really summarize quickly uh, where they can find you, your uh, Facebook group, etc.? Yeah, so if you are in Belgium, then the best place to find me would be on Financial Independence Belgium Facebook group or Meetup group. Um, if you are an expat or live outside of Europe, then simplyfi.org would be the place. There's a Facebook group as well for that. Um, so, and yeah, on, on the Financial Independence Belgium, there's also firebelgium.com, which is the website where all of this is well described as well. If you're interested in the impact aspect of things, so that would be my, my blog, impactivated.com where I write about this, and then the Facebook group called FI for Impact. Yeah, I think these are the best places. So there's a bunch of places depending on your interest. <laughs> okay, very good. And so, yeah, I like it. It's uh, for Belgium, for uh, international, etc. So that's very cool. Okay, Sebastian, I think uh, that's it for today. Thank again so much. I think it was a lot of value, a lot of uh, great insights, a great story. So thank you so much. You're very welcome, Jonathan. It was, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you find it valuable for yourself. And let me know about the break thing that I introduced for lengthier episodes. Let me know if it's useful or not, or if it's completely useless and I'm wasting my time. At least I had fun doing it, finding the music and everything, but that doesn't matter to you. So let me know if it's useful or not. Anyway, before we head off, uh, as usual, the key takeaways, I'll make them short since the episode is quite lengthy already. So number one on Sebastian's story. Well, his financial journey all started with tracking his expenses, so that's very crucial. Next, be wary of those rip-off savings plans and investment products that are pushed on to you. Look at the hidden fees, understand what you're getting into uh, before locking yourself in for a number of years. Uh, salary raises uh, will usually be a percentage of your base salary, so it's important when you get into a job to negotiate well, so you start off with a higher base salary, which will then increase your salary even faster than usual. Last point on Sebastian's story, no matter where you live, don't live the high lifestyle. I mean, don't spend your money on random things to keep up with the Kardashians. In the end, it's a loser's game. The next key takeaway is on index funds. So what is an index fund? An index fund is a collection of assets that can be purchased through the stock markets. But on the opposite of an investment fund, it follows an index. And this can be, for example, the famous ones, the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, the CAC 40 in France, for example, the FTSE, and so on and so on. And the last key takeaway for today are Sebastian's five pillar to index investing. So invest for the long term, 
diversify, keep costs low, keep it simple, and mind your emotions. And in short, if I had to summarize Sebastian's simple path to wealth or to financial independence, that would be invest in index funds and chill. So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at johnnytalks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.